RadioInfluence.com. Joining me today on the Real Animals podcast, which is presented by Contender Boats. He's a grandmaster angler, and we'll dive into what exactly that means. He's a fly casting instructor as well as an author of a, a very good book. He's a world record holder. He hosted uh, one fishing show, I know, for at least 16 years, maybe longer, and then came out with another one. He is my good friend, Captain Bill Miller. Bill, how are you today, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's exciting doing your podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. We, uh, we've been uh, doing the podcast here for, I don't know, six, eight months or so, and they're going over big, and, it, and it's really allowed me the opportunity to, to spend some extra time with some of the people that uh, I've, I've met throughout the years in the business, some of the people I respect, some of the people that really helped me, um, and, and you are definitely fall into that category. You know, we talk about... Um, you know, fishing in the Tampa Bay area, uh, with, with all of the, I call them legends because to me, they're, they're the people that laid the groundwork for, you know, all of the great tackle stores to exist here, all of the great TV shows, all the great radio shows, all the things that, you know, fishing, uh, brings to the Tampa Bay area. To me, it's kind of amazing that we do so much of it here and there's, and it, it never seems to get old. Like there isn't an overload of it, I don't think. And I think that's because of, of the, the greats that kind of laid the groundwork for us. And, and I, I consider you one of those, uh, Captain Mel Berman, one of those, Frank Sargent, one of those, um, you know, Salty Saul. Uh, I mean, there was just a lot of people, uh, Mark Hubbard, a lot of people that kind of laid a groundwork for um, fishing to be so popular and so entwined into the culture here in the Tampa Bay area. How did that, how did the whole thing start for Bill Miller? How does, how does Bill Miller become Captain Bill Miller? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for including me in that, uh, the illustrious group there. Uh, I grew up as a young man watching Salty Saul on TV with his fishing reports. And there was another guy named Captain George Michelle, Salty Saul was on Channel 13. Uh, Captain George Michelle was on Channel 8. He was sort of the same as Salty. And then <clears throat> there was another guy from around here named Captain Marty Foster. And uh, Marty Foster's uh, son, Buddy Foster, had a number of Chevrolet dealerships here in the area. But Marty did the same thing as as, uh, as uh, Saul and um, she blanked on the other guy, uh, Saul and and but he did his. He had it. He started filming. He okay. was around the same time as Gad about Gaddis when they, you know, as far as filming goes. But um, I watched those kids, those guys growing up when I was a kid, Mike, and uh, I just, I just like fishing. And my dad was not a fisherman. Everybody says, you know, well, your dad must have taken fishing. Well, my dad really wasn't a fisherman. He wasn't outdoorsman at all. Period. And it was on my mother's side that it was, and my mother and. <clears throat> Uh, her mother, my grandmother, used to take me fishing. Wow. And we'd, fish, we'd go freshwater fishing. And they grew up on in Avon Park in Kissimmee. And um, my mother used to tell me a story about when she was young in Kissimmee, downtown Kissimmee, there were more horses tied up downtown than cars were there parked. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you, you picture Kissimmee today. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, wow. But anyway, they came. They came from the backwood, and uh, and then 
in, in the wintertime, my mother and grandmother knew these little spots in the couple of canals and in some of the marinas when it got really cold. They used to fill up with redfish and trout, and we'd go catch those things all winter long. But <clears throat> my dad, my dad, a friend of my dad's had a boat, and back then there weren't a whole lot of outboards, and so most of them were inboards. And if you weren't really experienced, you hired a captain or somebody to run your boat for the day and take you fishing. And my dad like that he was a partner with this guy he liked doing that so he eventually bought his own boat he had a 32 foot wooden Chris craft wow <clears throat> and um he hired a guy to take his to to take him fishing one day a week and uh he'd take out some of his business clients and customers and some friends and it was during the week always and and when i was around not in school he would take me well i just loved it i, I fell in love with this guy i thought he was a, a magician he was a guru a wizard and I wanted to be just like him. Now, the personal habits of those guys back in those days were probably not the best. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought he could throw a cat net. He knew, you know, where to find fish. He used to go out there and find fish. So, anyway, about 13, I told my dad that I wanted to be a, a charter boat fisherman, charter boat captain. I told him at 13. And uh, he didn't really believe me. He kind of said, yeah, yeah, sure. Right. But I fished. You know, youngster all the time. And finally, he gave me a little, I got a little Boston Whaler and I lived all around trying to catch stuff. And I made buddy friends with uh, some buddies who were older than me, had boats and started fishing the Tampa Tarpon Tournament way back when and St. Pete Tarpon Tournament. And and then I started getting a, a little bit of a job, you know, making up, working on mates as the first mate on some boats. And uh, <clears throat> one summer when I was 20, I got a, a really good job and started working on one of the big time boats that got me into the, the big time West Coast private boat, charter boat arena. And uh, that's really what got me started. And I told my dad as I was getting older, and I'm, now I'm talking, I'm getting up into college now. And I told him, I said, Dad, I'm serious about being a fisherman. He said, I, I can see that you are. <laughs> and he, he said, I want you to get a college degree, though. Do that for me. And I said, I'll do that. So I got my college degree. He went, University of Tampa, graduated with a banking and finance degree and have a couple of courses short of an accounting degree. So, I, you know, I had a pretty good degree in case something happened, the fishing didn't work out, and I really didn't have a plan. And then the, right as I graduated, I was offered a job at the biggest bank in, the, in, uh, in downtown Tampa, the First Florida Banks. I'd already been through a portion of the management training program as an intern to, to get my banking degree. And they offered me a job to continue on into the, the management program, you know, to end up being a you know, bank officer and banker sometime of some sort. So I was blowing that over, and my captain called Bobby Buswell, the guy I've been working for. He called me, and he says, hey, we're taking the boat. You know, he worked for, for Jim Walter Corporation. We're taking the boat over to Stewart for the sale this season, and uh, then we're going to come back to St. Pete for a little bit. We're going to the Bahamas back to Boca Grande, and then we're going up to Destin in the summer. You want to go? <laughs> of course, I said, when are we leaving? <laughs> right. I was going to say, how do you and, turn that down? Yeah, and and I went and told my dad, and, and my dad was, um, he's great. You know, back then, 1975, living your dream, living your passion was not a buzzword. It was not a cool thing to do. I was expected to be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. And uh, when I told him I was going to be a fisherman, I'm not sure how it went over. My dad, bless his heart, he, he said, do it the best you can. If you're going to do it, do it the best you possibly can. 
My mother, on the other hand, she was not real happy about that. <laughs> she, she says, well, you've got all these degrees. At least you'll be able to count the number of fish you caught. And I went, yeah, mama, <laughs> it's going to be all right. So I, I, I could, at that point, I was full-time. I had graduated from college, and uh, I was full-time. And I traveled with Bobby. We traveled all over and um, call all kinds of stuff. And then uh, he and I decided to buy a boat together in about 1977 or 8. And I bought my first charter boat and tied it up at the, at the time, the brand-new Pappas Restaurant right there at the head of the sponge dock. And uh, it was the only charter boat there. And I tied it up right there, and I was on my way to Captain Bill Miller. Wow. Huh. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, now, I don't really want to jump too far forward, but what keeps jumping out at me uh, from that story, and 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 not everybody that listens to the podcast will will know if I don't bring it up that there's a Captain Billy Miller Jr. who is now a very successful charter captain, does a great job, very popular, very well spoken of. Um, in the in the guide business here on the west coast of Florida, how how did that make you feel when 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 Junior decides that's what he wants to do? <laughs> well, Mike, I tried to talk him out of it. <laughs> uh, You're a good dad. <laughs> I, I told him, I said, you don't, you know, Billy, you don't want to do this, and it's a, it's a fine line being a dad um, in a situation like that. And I was fishing all the time, and. So you want to take your son, your daughter, your kids with you when you're fishing. You know, show them what you love, and and so you do. And they they end up loving it so much that they want to make it their profession. Um, you can then you can say, well, you say, well, I'm not going to take them fishing. I don't want to be. Well, that's not good. You know, spend any time with your kids. I mean, that's what you do. Right. So I wanted to be sure. I tried to talk him out of it. I wanted to be sure that he really wanted it, not just because he thought it was cool. I want to make sure he really wanted it. So I made it hard on him. I, I would, uh, he, he wanted to go fast and I wouldn't, I wouldn't give him things. I wouldn't show him things. I wouldn't tell him things to see if he really liked it. I tried to discourage him. Um, but I could see there's a point where I saw that he really loved it and that's what he wanted to do. I want to make sure he had a passion for it. Sure. Uh, I made him the same deal that I made. My dad made me. I'd like to have a four-year college degree, and uh, he does. He graduated from USF with a degree in history and with an, an accent on Florida history, which really helps in you know, talking to your people about Florida history. People come from out of town. It's a nice benefit, yeah. nice knowledge to have when you talk, when you deal with your clients. So that's, you know, and I felt I was, I was proud of him. I was proud of him because he loved it and he worked hard at it. And, and he, he catches fish. He <clears throat> tries to keep himself, <clears throat> makes it, you know, be, be nice to the people and try to be a decent guy and, and, uh, work hard and catch fish. And, and that's what he seems to be doing. I know he loves it. So yeah, I'm proud I, of it. I hear good things, uh, uh, about, uh, Billy's charter business. Uh, a lot of people that I, I've fished and a lot of people I talked to have fished with him and rave reviews, which, you know, doesn't surprise me with that, uh, with the uh, apple tree that he fell out of there, um, I'm not totally surprised. Let's talk Grandmaster Angler a little bit. When does Bill Miller decide he wants to go be a Grandmaster Angler? And just because I know what it is, um, but I need you to tell me what it is for those that don't know. But it's a, I think it's a pretty cool thing that you accomplished. 
All right. Well, I'll explain that. There was a little background on it, Mike, was that in my charter boat professional fishing guide career, and I've gone from big boat to little boat to deep sea fishing to fly fishing and back and forth, um, there was a time I've retired twice. I say retired. At the time that I did it, I said I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Just because the the frustrations of of things, you know, life just gets in the way sometimes and the wind blows and boats break and all this kind of stuff. But I said, um, I got got to do something else. I got to do something else. So I um, I kept my hand in the business. I I was the agent for uh, Fishing International, which at the time was the – World second largest world fishing travel agency behind Frontiers at the time, and um, and I was I was keeping my hand in the business, and I had some time on my hands, and I said, "Geez, I still like to fish, but I, I got you know I got trying to figure out what to do here." So, Andy Line Company had a contest called the Grandmaster Angler Contest, and they had a list to the east coast of the U.S. and the west coast of the U.S. They had a list of 30 species for each coast, and you had to catch, photograph, and release all 30 of those species using Andy Line to uh, to become a Grandmaster Angler. And they had, if you got 20, you become a Master Angler, and then 30 was a Grandmaster Angler. And it was everything from snook, redfish, mackerel, tarpon, to blue marlin, white marlin, <clears throat> African pompano, Sailfish, uh, you know, some exotic northern pike, walleye, grayling, things like that. And uh, some of those fish I'd never seen before. <laughs> I'd heard about them, but I'd never seen them. So with my connection to the travel, well, I'll back up a little bit. So I started looking at it, and I said, you know, I'm not, at this first 20, I can catch a dozen or so around here. Right. It's not too hard to catch a trout, a snook, and a red, kingfish, mackerel. So I started catching a few around here, and I said, well, geez, you know, I, I can get, uh, I go to the Keys, I can probably get a permit and a bonefish and a barracuda and a few things like that. So next thing you know, I had about 17 or 18 quick, I'd say within a year. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, uh, so I had this connection with the fishing travel agency, and a lot of the lodges would um, comp your stay down there for a travel agent to come in and stay down there to see their lodge so they would, it would help you to sell it. Right. You'd have to pay your own way down there. Um, so I put together a few trips with people. I went to see some of these, these places, and while I was there, I caught some fish that got me into the uh, into the 20 range. I went up to the Northwest Territory, north between Arctic Circle and, and British Columbia, and caught walleye and pike and grayling and smallmouth bass and things like that. Freshwater bass was on there. And so I got about 21, 22, and then the rest of them were going to take some work. And it was about a year and a half or so into it now. And I said, well, Debbie asked me, my wife, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm about done with that. And she saw me study and she saw me look in and she said, you're going to do it, aren't you? And I said, uh, I think so. <laughs> so anyway, it took me two years, two, a little over two years, and I caught all 30 of them. I was the first, uh, I was the first master angler uh, on boat for either coast, and then a fellow on the, the east coast, uh, the west coast, California, and he, he got grandmaster angler for that side. He was number one. 
And then I got the first Grandmaster Angler on our coast, on the East Coast. Wow. And so there's, it was, it was quite a journey. And I met so many cool people and fished so many exotic places and had some crazy experiences, you know, but it was some of the fish that I thought were going to be easy to catch, Mike, were the hardest. Some I thought would be the hardest were the easiest. So I think and, it's, a, uh, I think it's a cool moniker. I think it just, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of effort and time and energy and, you know, some expense and all that traveling here and, you know, time away from the family maybe, but it's a cool moniker to have forever. I mean, especially, you know, you being Captain Bill Miller and hosting the TV show and all that Grandmaster Angler to me, it's just, it's kind of cool. Like not just a regular, you know, I'm just Captain Mike. You're Captain Bill Miller, Grandmaster Angler. That's cool. <laughs> I like uh, you know, so thank you. It's, it's been pretty interesting. And to be honest with you, I've milked that thing for 30 years or more. You know? <laughs> yeah, I really have. I don't blame and, you. I don't blame you one uh, bit. <laughs> but it, but it, it, it showed, it kind of showed that, look, not only can he take you out and catch you fish, but when it comes down to catching fish, he can do it. Yeah. He yeah. can catch marlin. He can catch bonefish on flag, the permit, and you know, a lot of these fish I caught were on fly, and um, and I, I had to use Andy line in the uh, in the leader in the tipping section. Right. So they let me do that when I was catching them on fly. But the 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 funny part of it now is uh, there's only two of us in the world, Mike, that have ever got. That's and uh, that that's because about two or three years after we got it, they canceled the contest. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> yeah. I don't tell many people that. I just say well, there's only two in the world that have it. You know, but. <laughs> That's perfect. Now that, 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 that kind of leads me into this fly casting instructor. You and I have been friends a long time. I didn't realize you were that big a fly fisherman. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't become instructor just by chance. I mean, right. I mean, that's, that's a little harder. I was, to do. One, of, I was one of the first, so I was certified by the Fly Fishing Federation and then also by SAGE. I was one of the first um, certified SAGE fly casting instructors, certainly in this part of Florida and down in Keys there were some, but Chico Fernandez certified me. It's a it's a pretty extensive test. Yep, they did it out at uh, in Denver at the Fly Fishing Federation show out there and um and in the seasons of my of my professional fishing life I went from you know, the deep sea guy to, I said, this, uh, there's got to be a better way. The weather just beats you up too bad. And with a smaller boat, you can fish inshore. You can move your boat around. You can fish days. The offshore guys can't fish. Right. And, and so I started doing some of the, looking at how the guys in the Keys work their business and the light tackle guys. And so I started doing that around here and then, uh, I, I got, I, I like fly fishing. I just, I got into fly fishing and I, I learned how to do it. And I, I knew some of the guys that, uh, that were doing it. I went down there and got a lot of experience with them and fished with a, a lot of really good anglers from the Keys. And, um, so I started fly fishing up here as a guide, you know, one of the first that I, that I know of, there was maybe a few others, but, uh, Dan Malzone was maybe one. And there were a couple others that were, that were good, but I was, Early on, I was into it, and um, Al DePerrick is another. There's, there was a group of guys who picked it up, and I learned from them. So anyway, I started doing that, and I found that you know it was to be involved with some of the companies like Sage at the time. Sage was a 
the number one rod banker, hands down, for fly rods. Um, you needed to do things, appearance shows and things like that. So I started, I learned, I, I became a, a fly caster and, and instructor, and I started instructing people, and it shows at the Frank Sargent Show. I did. I built the very first fly casting pond at the Frank Sargent Show and the Florida Sportsman Show. Wow. I showed them how to build it, and I built it, and I'd build it every one. I'd go there and give lessons, fly fishing lessons, and then I would also do some trick casting demonstrations. Of course, all the time trying to build my business up. Sure. And uh, so I, I traveled around the, the southeast and did you know a number of shows like that, and um, it was fun. I met a lot of good people, but the the fly fishing business, the market just wasn't there to support you year round. Right. During the tarpon season, there was, and I, I went up to Homosassa in the early eighties and fished up there with those guys for five or six years guiding up there and uh, really, really learned a ton and uh, saw some awesome fishing up that way. Got met a lot of really nice people, caught some huge fish on flies. So. Well, that Homosassa, a- that Homosassa area, that's like tarpon fly fishing Mecca, right? I mean, as I understand, that's the holy that's the holy grail right, of right. the big tarpon on fly. Right. Um, you get more tarpon in the Keys than other places, uh, but up there, for some reason, and I don't know what it is. I've, I've watched tarpon up and down this coast for a long time. The tarpon up there seem to be bigger on average. I mean, substantially bigger on average. Huh. Um, and it was it was pretty. I got in on the end of the real premiere of it. Uh, that up there, fishing on the flats is, as you know, can only stand fish, especially tarpon, can only stand so much pressure. Right. And um, when when too many people, even with electric motors and pulling and all that, it it just becomes the pressure becomes too much for them. And for whatever reason, um, they don't come back in there anymore. There's not a I understand there's not as near as many boats fishing up there as there used to be, but the fish don't seem to come back in there much. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun watching that. I fished. I was a in, in that world up there. I was a I was a rookie, and uh, but I, I learned a lot and held my own and, and watched some really world class anglers up there. So I did a period of fly fishing in my life. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So let's let's. So, you know, obviously we have to cover hooked on fishing because obviously a huge part of, uh, you know, my time as, as I got into the Florida fishing scene and all that with, with you being on, you know, weekly, uh, on the local station here, it says on the website, 16 years of hooked on fishing. Is that right? It was a little longer. I thought it was a little yeah. longer than that. I, I wrote yeah, down, I, I wrote down 16 years, but I, okay. I thought it was a little longer than that. It was, it was 19 years. Okay. 19 years of hooked on fishing, and then I, I but took sort of a break and, and started up uh, fishing with Bill Miller, which went for either two or three years. Right. And that aired on World Fishing Network, right? That was on World Fishing Network, yeah. So let's talk about hooked on fishing, because with me doing shows, and, and, and I thought at one time, you know, when I first started there at News Channel 8, uh, I, I was doing 20, we were doing 22 shows a year which I thought was just ridiculously, a ridiculously high amount of shows. And then in talking to you, you did some ungodly number of shows every year, which to me is just unfathomable. I don't even know how you pulled that off to do 
Uh, first of all, f- for those people that have never done any TV, the way I do TV, it's not really all that difficult because I can screw up and the camera guy gets, that would sound terrible, do that over again. Bill, you did your show live. Yeah, we, we did everything, you know, pretty much first take. Uh, That's so hard to do. We did, we did 45 shows a year, 45 to 50 shows a year. That's a ridiculous Basically, number. Every week. That's ridiculous. And <laughs> the way we did it was we would film, we would go out with Mike Anderson on Tuesday and we'd shoot footage on the boat during the day. And then on Thursday night, Mike would come to the studio or not. Most of them did. Yep. And we'd sit down and we would do a live show with no delay. And uh, we would, in between we'd get in Tuesday afternoon. So they'd have Wednesday to edit that show, edit the portions of it. And you and I would, there'd be three sections of the show of film from the, what we shot the two days before. And then we would talk and I'd do a little demonstration on the captain's corner, how to sort of segment. But uh, we needed, we needed 12 to 15 minutes of footage, good edited footage. And, uh, you know, I don't know how that, concept really came well i do know when we when we very first started it was there was just nothing as far as technology or anything like that and so they didn't have the technology to 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 edit out a full show and or the time and so we just started doing it like that and it became real popular because it was current right and they see me and you fishing at big Ben power plant they know we were there yesterday right right and, sure uh, if, if if we said the tarpon are biting at Bean Point or or you know whatever trout at Bishop's Harbor, they, they, we were there. Right. It, it, it's it's burnt. We did that this week. And it was yeah. a it was a there were so many shows and still are today um, that are watch me fish. And what I mean by that is so and so full lure over there and he'll catch a fish and they'll bring it back. So look at this redfish. But he didn't show you what lure he used. Right. He didn't tell you what kind of knot he used on the lure, loop, clinch, how long his leader was. Right. Why he threw there instead of over there. And they liked the, the part that it was it was local. A lot of it was local at first. And then it was current. And then we taught. And that's what I always wanted to be. I wanted to be a coach anyway. Right. And uh, and when I was growing up, before I became a fisherman, and and so I, I love teaching. I love teaching people how to fish, and that's really what we did. My father, um, God rest his soul, when when we first got the TV show, um, you know, almost 14 years ago now, I, I you know, called my dad all excited, and, and you met my dad. You know, he was a fisherman mm-hmm. and outdoorsman and, yeah. you know, retired from Mercury Outboards in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. So he was, you know, all excited with me being mm-hmm. a charter captain and, you know, going to do the TV show, and he he hit me with 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 words that that stay with me today, and it kind of goes to what you just said. My dad was a very good walleye fisherman. My uncle, you know, as I think I've told you before, was four time world walleye fishing champion on the pro walleye tournament trail. Um, mm-hmm. And when him and his partner Gary Gray won the title back to back, nobody had ever won it twice. And they just won it back to back. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, you know, my dad fished the Merck National and, and just, you know, I mean, he's p- part of the reason that I do what I do because of my love on the water. But my dad said to me, he was like, Michael, listen to me. When you're going to do this TV show. It's super cool. I'm super excited for you. Remember something. I don't watch fishing shows. Uh, 
to watch a guy catch a walleye. I can go out back. They lived on a lake. He's like, I can go out back and catch a walleye. I watch the show because I want to see what what he's using and why he caught that walleye. So make Mm -hmm. sure that when you're doing the show, you're always trying to teach them something. If it's just about you catching a, a snook or a redfish, it gets old quick. People who fish want to know how are you catching them? Why are you catching them and they are not? Or how can you help them catch more of them? That's what they want to know. And I think that a lot of the shows today, you know, some of them get away from that. Like you said, look at me fish. And, and that's, you know, I mean, our, our good friend C.A. Richardson, I think that's why Flats Class is so popular because it's constantly teaching mm-hmm. you how to read the water and, and read the flat and, and, you know, take advantage of certain situations and what to look for. And, you know, all that stuff I think really helps. And I think your show did a mm-hmm. great job of that. And I think that's why it was a, you know, a show that was on the air for, for 19 years. And so is that what led you to the book? Then we got to touch base on the book. Um, you're, yeah. you're the author of fish smart, catch more. And mm-hmm. is that, that's what led you to the book then just your desire to teach people. It, it, it was Mike. And, uh, we got to talking about people kept saying, why don't you do a book? You've traveled all over the world. You fish with famous people and caught all these cool fish. Why don't you do a book? And I said, you know, with the, some of the things I've done, that'll appeal to, you know, 25 or 30 of my friends. The rest of the people, it, it, it won't have any appeal to them. Right. They could read it by adventure guys going around the world fishing with plenty of those type of books. And I said, if I'm going to write a book, I've just, I've just done 15, 16, 19 years of television. I'm sure there's some information in there that I could pass on in a book. And in each show, I did a captain's corner. I got up from my little chair area, and I walked over to a, a bench that we set up or a desk, and I showed people how to tie a lure or uh, you know, rig up a spoon or hook a bait or wrap a leader wire, something like that. And if I did 50 of those a year for, you know, 10 years, I got 500 <laughs> two or three minute segments. Right. There Certainly some of those could be a chapter in a book or a page in a book. So I had the material and, uh, it would be in the David Brown, um, famous outdoor writer. David Brown was, was my uh, ghost writer and a co co conspirator on this book, I'll say. And we went back and looked at all the shows and started picking out the, the tips that I gave through the years. And we made this into fish mark catch more than 77 tips in the book. And they're each about a page or two and, uh, right to the point with photographs and it teaches people things from, uh, here's a, there's a picture of an oyster bar and I tell them how to look at that oyster bar and figure out where the fish are, or there'll be one over here. And I have a picture of a shrimp. Right. And I'll show them two different ways to hook a shrimp. And, or if it, it's cold winter day, here's what I do when I'm waiting on a cold winter day, you know, what to wear, what type of waders to wear. You need a belt around your waist and boot, boot foot, stocking foot, you know, things like that. Sure. Sure. So that's, that's, and it, and it turned out good. I, I never did put it on Amazon. It's, it's available off my website, fishingwithbillmiller.com. I never did put it on Amazon. Um, I sold quite a few, uh, my initial printing, I sold out in a hurry and I've had two, two other printings since then. And, uh, it's a nice Christmas gift, by the way, if anybody's yeah, for sure. watching, well, really. I had a fisherman in their world, a, a present fishing with bill 
Yeah. Um, no doubt. Or they can Google me and send me an email or call me. Yeah. And, uh, 1995, 20, 1995, and uh, that includes shipping. And I'll send it right out to you well, with a signed uh, autograph. I'll even personalize it for you. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. Now, um, I also read here that you're a world record holder. Can you tell me about I that? Am a, I, I am. Uh, I was. I I caught a, <clears throat> a hell of a world uh, blackfin tuna record on with fly rod on eight pound tip. And I caught, I want to say it's 20, I don't have it right here in front of me, but eight pound tip, but it was 25 pounds or four pounds or something like that. And I uh, caught it down in Key West on a fly rod. So the eight, eight pound tip, it means there's a, at least a 15 foot, a 15 inch section of straight eight pound monofilament or couldn't it's monofilament, eight pound. And uh, we were fishing off the shrimp boats down off Key West and I caught that. And we were pretty sure it was a record. And uh, then I hooked the Bonita that I knew would have been a rural record. And so did uh, the guy I was fishing with, Gary McConey. And had that Bonita right up to the boat. We're just getting ready. To, we're going to net him to keep the blood from coming out of him if we gaffed him. And a big old shark came out from under the boat, ate him in half. <laughs> we, had, we had no idea it was there, uh, the shark. But... Uh, Anyway, so I, I caught, we could have caught two world records that day. And, um, but I caught that one. It held up for a while. And then a fellow from Tampa, darn, I see his face. I can't remember his name. Uh, he broke it out in the Gulf. He was riding a big boat out in the Gulf, and they caught a, some really nice tuna and had him chummed up and caught him on fly. Nice. So, can, I, can I brag about my wife's world records? Absolutely. Please do. Please do. My wife, my wife Debbie, who's outstanding, she's a world class angler um she held the ladies world record for tarpon on 20 pound test line was 175 and a half pounds on 20 wow. and uh, she held that for a while and until they started finding these big fish down in africa sierra leone is the person that broke her record down there 225 pounds about 50 pounds <laughs> wow but um, she held that for, you know, 10 years. And then she still holds and has held for about 30 years the uh, lady's record for snook on four-pound tests. She caught a 20-pound, 12-ounce snook on four-pound tests. It's still a lady's world record today. That's awesome. Well, and and your, your, your bride there is, is a, a world-class fisherman and a world-class lady. And uh, I always look forward to seeing her. Um, I only get to see her about once a year. But... Uh, um, I don't know how many years has it been since we started fishing for hope since you started. I say we, you started it. I've been trying to think, Mike, uh, I want to say I'm going to just guess 15. We scratch our head. Well, and, and, and Captain Mel has been gone. It'll be 10 years this February um, that he's been gone. So I would say close to 15, 13, 15 years, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say probably 13. I think we do this every, what, t- every time you and I get together yeah. to, do, to, to start to promote Fishing for Hope uh, for whatever year it is. We try to scramble to figure out how many years that uh, we've been doing it. You started Fishing for Hope. It's a, uh, it's a food drive uh, in 
uh, partnership with Metropolitan Ministries here in Tampa. We always do it on the Saturday before Thanksgiving. It's actually coming up this Saturday, um, which I think is the 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I am I'm, I'm, I very much look forward to this. And, and, and I'll be you and I do the radio show always that morning, that Saturday morning. And then we go over there and go to work and shake hands and, and help people unload. And, and the fishing community in Tampa Bay has done such a great job kind of, you know, coming together. Everybody kind of comes and, and brings, um, you know, their non-perishables, frozen turkeys and frozen hams and all that stuff to us. Um, and, and it just seems like every year we, we somehow get more and more, um, we get more and more food every year. Uh, and, and I commend you for starting it. Uh, my daughter, Georgia, who's been coming since year one. Um, she got involved here helping out the last couple of years, probably the last four or five or six years. And uh, yeah. now she's got girlfriends that she's brought to help that call and say, hey, isn't that thing coming up at Metropolitan Ministries that we do with your dad? <laughs> and they've all, you know, so I know a couple of those girls are coming with us this year again. So, uh, yeah, I commend you for uh, for your vision on Fishing for Hope. I really do. How did that whole thing start? I was, I had been involved with the Pediatric Cancer Foundation. To, we started the Chuck Lamar Fishing Tournament to uh, raise funds for pediatric cancer research. And we were at an event with them and Melissa Helms, who's the founder of the National Pediatric Cancer Foundation, she introduced me to Janet Pantaleo. And Janet was the assistant to Morris Hannon, who's the, the head, the founder of Metropolitan Ministries and and then she was later the assistant to uh, Tim Marks, who is the current president. And um, they again, just kind of got to talking. I'm like, why don't you do something for this and that? And let's call it the ministries. And I said, oh, yeah, I don't know. So we got to talking. And so the idea of a food drive came up. And the next thing you know, we decided to do one. And we, we came up with the name Fishing for Hope because uh, you know, that was my deal. And, and so... And we decided to do it, and I said, I'm going to get the fishing community involved with Metropolitan Ministries and trying to help out the people that need here in Tampa Bay area. And they looked around, they said, the fishing community, is there such a thing? <laughs> and, and I said, well, yeah, you know, not all fishermen are bubba's. Right. <laughs> you know, they looked on TV and say fishermen are bubba's, but there's a lot of people, bubba or not, they want to help other people out. Sure. And... uh and I said, I think we can. I think we can do some good. How does this thing work? And they said, Well, you just have a day. You need this. And I said, Okay, well, let me go to work on this. So the first first call I made was Mel Berman. The right, the and, right call. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, I called Mel, and the next call was Frank Sargent. Another and, great call. Uh, those are my those are my two buddies that were the biggest media uh, celebrities and had access to more people than anybody I knew of. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden, without even with two phone calls, Metropolitan Ministries had more public relations exposure than they they had ever in one <laughs> in one event. Right, and uh, just because you knew who to call, and, and none of that, as you know, Mike, back then, none of the, the fishing market had really been tapped, or nobody realized how powerful they were and how many people they were. Sure, and and with Mel's radio show and Frank's newspaper, and me working the TV end of it. Um, we just had a uh, had a big deal, and, and for years, <clears throat> there's other other groups that uh, that do food drives for Metropolitan Ministries, and, and people like the Bucks, and even 
iHeartRadio and places like that and other radio groups and uh, parades and all that kind of stuff. So it became a little competition. And uh, I know for a few years there, the old Bubba's of the fishing community, we raised more food than the Rays and Channel 8 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they said, who are these guys? We never heard of them. And uh, so it became good. And what it did, it created competition. Right. So the other groups wanted to beat us, so more food came in. And we wanted to beat us, so more food came in. So I, I think when, um, and at the risk of possibly doing some bragging, I think the injection of, of the fishing community into Metropolitan Ministries and their food drives during the holidays was a, a was a big deal because we spurred some other groups on and we made them get off their butt and go to work to try to beat us. Yeah, no doubt. It's a great event, and uh, I look forward to uh, to doing it this year. Uh, bringing my family out there, seeing you and your family, uh, Glenn Pla, Richard Seward. I mean, the list is very long. The people that come out there to uh, to hang out with us. Uh, I look forward to doing the radio show with you on Saturday morning. And uh, again, hanging out with you and your family to uh, do some good for the community. Bill Miller, I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Uh, like I told you when we started this, I think we could probably do a three-hour podcast because um, I'd love to uh, you know, get you back here and spend a little time talking about the fishery um, and, and, and the shape of the fishery and the future of the fishery and all those things, as I know you've got a great uh, a finger on the pulse of, of the of the fishery here. Yeah, I know you have a lot of friends in the tackle business and you know your son's a, a great charter captain making a great legacy for himself, Captain Billy Miller Jr. So uh, maybe we'll do that and uh, we can spend a little more time together. But today I really, really appreciate you hanging out with me, brother. It's, it's great to hear your voice and I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. I appreciate you having me. And when we do that next next podcast, I'll, uh, I've got some early Mike Anderson stories. I, I remember Mike Anderson in the early days. And uh, so we'll have some fun with that too. Yeah, you know, you are uh, you are one of the guys who um, uh, I just did a seminar with Dave Marquette, and uh, and when I introduced him to the crowd, uh, I had mentioned how much that Dave did for me when I first started, and and I would be totally remiss in not mentioning that in this podcast. Uh, you know, there was opportunities in the guide business that. Um, that you gave me when I first got into it that really helped me out a great deal. Um, and, and, you know, opportunities to come and be on your show. Um, the support that, uh, you, you gave me when, uh, you know, we had to do the memorial show for, for Captain Mel Berman when Captain Mel passed away. Um, the opportunity to come and help with fishing for hope, uh, all those things, uh, mean a great deal to me. So you are someone in, as I look back on my career, someone who is very special to uh, where I am, someone who uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for being involved in my life and my career, and uh, I, I really can't thank you enough, and I look forward to you telling those stories, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Mike. You, you've earned everything you've got, and you've become a, a legend in your own right, and I'm, I'm proud to know you and call you a friend. So I look forward to seeing you at Fishing for Hope, and best of luck to you. Can't wait till we do the next show. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed spending a little time with my good friend, Captain Bill Miller. It's not very often you get to do a podcast with a grand master angler. Uh, Bill was a guy who really, really helped me out uh, in the early days of my guiding career here on Tampa Bay. So it's always great to get caught up with him. If you, again, are looking for a great read, check out Bill's book, Fish Smart, Catch More. That's at uh, fishingwithbillmiller.com. Dot com. The Real Animals Podcast, 
are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and of course, ritampabay.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps us out a bunch. And remember, we're presented by Contender Boats. If you're looking to build that custom boat, that dream boat of a lifetime, look no further than our good friends at Contender Boats. Thanks for joining us today, guys. We do appreciate it. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. Everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.